Isn't it time you lived life on your own terms? If not now, when? Visit abrilliantgamble.com for more information on Blair's new exciting online coaching program. Midlife doesn't have to be a crisis. It's a time to rethink who you are and what you really want from your work, your life, and yourself. Sacrificing your soul stops here. It's time to make some plans, make them happen, and live the life you deserve. With interviews, stories from her own adventures, and expert insights, here's your host, best-selling author, speaker, and coach, Blair Palmer. Welcome to episode 100 of A Brilliant Gamble. 100 episodes. I can't believe it. Um, quite a moment, isn't it? Anyway, uh, let me tell you some of the stuff that's been happening. I have been observing myself moving through the stages from complete overwhelm uh, since we moved here, mixed with complete joy, I've got to tell you. Um, it's absolutely lovely. I'm so glad that we made this decision. But moving house and settling down and all the things that need to happen uh, in the first few weeks that you do all of that is a bit overwhelming. So I've been observing myself moving through all of that to where we are now, which is some kind of normality. Not really. We've only been in our house about six weeks and um, so things are still very, very new. But it is starting to feel like we know where we're going. I don't need to use the sat-nav every time I leave the house. You know, things are on the up in terms of feeling a bit more normal, but it's still exciting. So that's like the perfect combination, right? The priorities for us have been getting unpacked, getting the place secure for the dogs, which it is not. Humphrey was discovered in the local village, um, last weekend, uh, covered in cow poo. He'd taken himself off through another field, rolled in a lot of poop, gone on a little adventure of his own down into the town and was found and taken to the local pet shop who called us. And we had to rush down there and collect him and get him very quickly to the groomers where they washed him three times to get the poop out so that he was ready nice and clean and smelling fresh for Ivy's birthday party in the evening. So the place is not secure for dogs, but we have been getting on with that. We have also been starting to create a community and spending more time with family. These are all things that we missed when we were traveling that felt important to us. And my learning so far, well, obviously it's early days, but what I'm learning just to embrace is that there are times when you're just not going to be very zen and that's okay. I haven't felt very guruish for a few weeks, although that humility might have been an advantage in my work. I think it probably is an advantage when you're a coach to be quite humble um, and not to think that you know it all. So that's probably been good and it would probably help us all to be in that kind of mindset from time to time. I have been keeping up with my morning routine though and by and large drawing on things that I learned this year. Most importantly that things rarely turn into your worst case scenario. So your imagination will go wild but those things don't normally happen. 
something might happen, but norm not normally or worst case scenario. And I do find this very calming. Anyway, let's get on with the first interview, first fresh interview for a while. Oh my goodness. I enjoy all the conversations I have with my podcast guests. Really, I always learn so much from them and I love the conversation. I love just really getting into it, knowing that we've got time, wonderful experience. But I've got to say that I've been waiting and wanting to interview today's guest for a long time. This interview is the perfect one to kick off a new thread in this podcast how we change and why we change and whether we really change. As we pursue a life where all the parts are better blended and a life that reflects more who we are, we often come up against aspects of ourselves that block us. How we respond to those internal blockers, how we make stuff happen in our lives so we can be more at peace, have more fun, have a great story to tell at the end of it all, that's what is fascinating me at the moment. And over the coming months, I'll be interviewing loads of people who've unpicked those blockers within themselves and who can help us to do the same. Today's guest is journalist and author and self-help junkie, Marianne Power. A few years ago, she set off on an adventure of living by the letter of the advice in 12 self-help books in order to, as she puts it, fix herself in a year. She's now written a book about it, sharing the experiences, funny, I mean, some very funny experiences, sobering, inspiring, and the book's called Help Me. I recognised myself so many times in this book as she explained how she'd been feeling, why she kicked off this year of self-development, how the experience of trying to change herself actually felt, and whether the different approaches that she used, everything from the law of attraction to fuck it, had the effect she had expected. And of course, what she's learned now that she's had time to reflect on that year, year and a half, in fact. So without further delay, let's go to the interview. Marianne, so good to see you. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Yeah, really, really well. And so excited to talk to you because I just finished your book last night in bed. Uh, knowing that we were going to be speaking today, but actually I whipped through it in about three days, which is quite unusual for me because I get a bit bored. Brilliant. Uh, brilliant. Yeah, but it was fantastic. So there's so many things I want to talk to you about. Um, and maybe we can start with what it was that triggered you to doing this year or 16 months of, of self-help. Craziness. Adventure. Craziness. <laughs> yeah, in the first place. <laughs> I was actually quite desperate. Um, I, it, it came from yeah, a genuine place of being quite unhappy. I was living in London. I was in my mid-30s, a freelance journalist. And on paper, you know, life was really pretty good. And I was so lucky I'd done better in my career than I ever expected to. And I had friends and family. But I was also just really unhappy and quite lost. And, you know, all my friends were getting married and having babies and buying houses. I was always single. I was useless with money, hadn't bought on the property ladder. I just felt like everyone else was moving on to these lives and I was still stuck in this kind of 20-something hangover overdraft state. Um, yeah, I was really unhappy and I'm quite embarrassed about my unhappiness. I felt sort of ashamed and didn't know how to say it to people that I'm lost and I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and so I would drink a lot and watch a lot of Kardashians and read a lot of self-help 
that was sort of the three things I was doing. And, and I'd always read self-help books. I read my first one when I was 24. And I loved them. They were like a comfort blanket to me because I'd fantasise about how great life would be if I just, you know, lived like these books. It was like escapism, but I never did anything they told me to do. And so this one particular hangover, it was one of those really horrible hangovers where you know things cannot carry on the way they are. I was reading Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway for about the 18th time and just had this idea that I had to, the only, I had to stop reading these books and I had to actually start doing them. So to, to really, if I wanted to change, then I was going to, yeah, stop being so passive about it. So these self-help books were my idea of like how to get to a new life because that's what these books all promise, isn't it? And um, instead of daydreaming about them, I wanted to actually make them happen. And so that, yeah, the plan just came straight away, do one book a month, um, do everything it tells me to do and do 12 in a year. And I thought I'd tackle different areas that I had issues with, you know, some men and money and worrying. Um, and the plan was that by the end of the year, I would become a perfect person. You know, like one of those Sunday supplement magazine people. That's what I wanted to be like. <laughs> and and um, I don't want to, well, I, I was going to ask you, are you? But I think I will save that question until the end. So you... You mentioned Feel the Fear. I, I love that book. I remember um, uh, reading it. I must have been in my early 30s myself when I first read it and walking up the street saying out loud, I am loved. I am loved. You know, <laughs> to try to convince. And I am, lo I am loving. I am lovable. All the things that she tells you to do. But you open the book describing yourself being a life model so you're yes. standing there completely naked. This is one of the things that you chose to do. Yeah. Why? Why did you start with that? Well, the first self-help book I did was Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, because like when I told my sister my plan to change my life by following self-help, she was like, yeah, but you've got to actually do things. You can't just, you know, read them and navel gaze and write about that. Um, so Feel the Fear, I thought was a really good one to start with, because as well as the loving yourself and the affirmations, Susan Jeffers' advice is really basic that to to live a fulfilling and rich life, we should be doing at least one thing that frightens us every single day. And she says that when we see people who are out in the world, you know, doing great things and leading these amazing lives, we just think they're more confident and braver than us. And she argues they're not, they just feel the fear and do it anyway. And so at the start of January, at the start of my project, I wrote a list of just about every single thing I could think of that frightened me. And so I started off with wanting to put things like answering the phone and opening my bank statements on it. And my flatmate was like, no, you're going to have to do better than that. And so naked modeling was one of the, one of the challenges that got put on the list and jumping out of a plane, stand up comedy was the most terrifying thing I could think of doing. So that went on the list. Um, and then my flatmate really trumped herself by suggesting that I chat up men in rush hour on the tube. So, so they all went on this mega list and basically I spent a month doing my very best to to tick them all off and and yeah the book then opens with me doing naked modeling on a really cold damp January Sunday in a drafty hall thinking what the hell am I doing yeah um, yeah. yeah and why you haven't shaved your legs well this this seems to be a theme throughout the book I'm really lazy on the whole hair removal business and I play <laughs> So I did a book reading um, recently and there was a guy there and he said, have you shaved your legs tonight? 
and I hadn't. Um, but yeah, it, it seems to be a theme, my slovenliness when it comes to maintenance, yeah. <laughs> so it seemed to me at that point, having done a month of Feel the Fear, that this was all going to go very well for you. I, I felt as I was reading it, you know, she's doing some great stuff. She's feeling really good about it. Um, but that's not exactly how it went, is it? So the end of January, I was, I was amazed at what I'd done. I was so proud. So the stand-up comedy, not only did I do it, but it had gone quite well. And I also did public speaking, which is petrifying. You know, most people, they put it above death as their fears. So I'd done two, these two things that had gone well. And it was such a confidence boost that it made me realise actually I had strengths that I had no idea about. So with the public speaking and stand-up comedy, the comments were, you're a natural, you're a natural, you must have done that before. And I really hadn't. So by the end of January, I was quite delighted with myself. And, and I also thought this would just, you know, I'd be an upward trajectory all year. Um, but it didn't work like that. The next book I did was called Money, A Love Story, which is about getting to grips with your finances. And um, I'm not good with money at all. And so this book was basically a months long, icy cold shower of reality and self-loathing. <laughs> and, and so that's how the year went on. Actually, it seemed to be this kind of highs and lows. You know, I'd have one month where I surprised myself and did daring deeds. And then another month where it was a crashing low for whatever reason. But I think also I really underestimated how, how emotionally and physically exhausting it is putting yourself through a new experience almost every day, which is what I was doing. So after, um, I think on my fourth month, I did something called rejection therapy, where I had to get rejected by another human being every single day. Now that goes against every single human instinct to put yourself in that situation. And it was awful. The rewards were amazing at the end, but it was grueling to put myself through it. So yeah, as, as the book goes on, there are these highs, but there are also crashing, crashing lows, which I think is part of actually any period of real change. You're, you're shake, I was shaking everything up much more than I understood. You know, I was really questioning every bit of my life and every bit of my personality. Nothing, by, 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 about, yeah, by about month five, nothing in my life was normal anymore. Yeah, that's very unsettling, isn't it? That there isn't anything at that point. I mean, having been through a lot of change myself, um, when, it's, when it's too much change in a sense and it's constant and you're changing everything, like when we left our home and we were living in other countries, in a motorhome, away from everything and, and everything that was familiar, you, there's nothing to hold on to. And you really have this sense of... of not knowing who you are because everything that that made you give you a sense of who you were is gone yeah yeah exactly and i think that's we say we want change but when change is actually happening it's quite often terrifying and a holy mess <laughs> yeah one of the things that i noticed um uh, so you, you you did the money book and then you moved straight on to the secret yeah <laughs> And, and what I loved about it was that the secret was the perfect excuse to not implement any of the stuff. Exactly, exactly. exactly. I don't go to self-help books for reality. I go for the fantasy. So, <laughs> yeah, so after a month of crying over my bank statements, I was like, sod this for a lark. I'm going to the secret. And the secret says you can have anything you want in life if you just believe. And it's, you know, the law of attraction and positive thinking. And so that, that book suggests that you write out checks for the amount of money that you want to come your way. And if you've got 
a dream car, you go and road test that dream car just to really believe it's yours. And their slogan is what you think about, you bring about. So yes, that's what I did for, for March, um, did vision boards and thought about my dream life and wrote pretend checks. And at this point, my mum was getting really worried. My Irish mother worried that I'd become all American. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? And she said, happy Marianne, people don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's, so, that's so brilliant. Try, don't be too happy. It'll put everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, one of the things that you that you did um, that I thought was quite interesting was this mix between self help books that are really practical, like the look at your bank statements, work out where you are, make a plan, um, and then the kind of polar opposite of the secret or the the angels stuff, the stuff that's kind of really woo woo and out there. Did did you and and you know, I flip from one to the other as well. And I, I think a lot of people do this sort of, um, this desire and commitment to be practical, but at the same time, believing that there is something more powerful going on. Yeah. Did you have a sense, um, having tried a lot of different things that sit in both of those different camps, that, that it's the practical stuff that makes the difference or it's the more spiritual woo-woo stuff or, or, did you not make that distinction so much? Oh, it's such a good question. I did make that distinction. And I, I'm so conflicted about all this. I still don't know because there were moments. So when I did the fuck it retreat um, in Italy, fuck it is, it, it, you know, seemingly quite um, a humorous book about, um, so the sort of English author says that, Bucket is the Western expression of the Eastern philosophy of accepting and letting go. And so that as soon as we say fuck it, worrying about the future, worrying about our money, worrying about our figures, worrying about whatever we're worrying about, whether we'll get a boyfriend, wife, girlfriend, we relax and then things happen how they're meant to happen. He believes it's because, you know, there are forces in the world that are bigger than us. And when I was in Italy on the retreat, with him I had real moments of very physically feeling that that the world is has has this beauty and this oh connectedness and stuff there that I don't understand and it felt like magic so I've had those experiences where I do believe in the woo-woo stuff but then I also can quite easily flip out of it and just go no that's you know that's nonsense because books like The Secret then press my buttons because I think that message has been used in order to flog a lot of books and I'm not sure. I don't know, so I'm really conflicted about it. So I think in an ideal world, you'd have both. You would have the mental serenity that comes with believing in the bigger picture, that there are woo-woo forces that we don't understand. That for me makes me feel very peaceful and it exactly like John, the fuck it author, says it just lets me relax. And then better things do happen, whether that's because when you're relaxed, you're less scared of taking practical action. So you actually do take it, with, you know, and, and you're doing more practical things to help yourself. Um, or whether when you're relaxed, you then are surrendering to some sort of bigger force in the world. I don't know. I really, I really don't know. What do you think about that? I'm in the same place. So um, I am a big believer in in energy so the the things that i think about will definitely affect the kind of vibrational energy that i experience in my life um 
And, and I also have experiences of that that seem kind of magical. Certainly when I worry about things, that doesn't help me to find great solutions and to, and to do things from the right place. I do them from a place of fear and desperation need. So that's definitely not helpful. Whereas when I believe that the universe has my back, that, um, that uh, there's abundance, that um, everything's happening for a reason, then that peacefulness that I experience allows me to make better decisions, to have better conversations, to be less needy. So yeah. that seems, there definitely seems to be a link there. But at the same time, I've never thought, well, if I just believe that the phone is going to ring, the phone yeah. will ring. Yeah, I still have to go out and have the conversations with people and ask them to work with me. Yeah. 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 But if you have that belief in a bigger picture and then maybe you have slightly more confidence and peace going and picking up the phone and asking those questions instead of picking up the phone in a state of panic or spending a week not picking up the phone because you're too scared. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because one of the things that I... I really felt, I mean, I, I remember when you first set out on this journey and I, I started following you and your Facebook page and all of that right back then because I was so interested. Um, so it felt very real to me. And when I was reading the book, I, it brought it all back that some of the posts that you, that, you, that you made at the time. But one of the things I really felt for you was where, where is the external support? So you have friends. And I know in the book you haven't um, named your friends exactly. You've kind of put together, consolidated different friends into different characters for obvious reasons. Um, but I, I sort of thought the conversations that you were having with people and the sorts of things they were saying back to you just didn't seem very helpful. <laughs> you know, it really felt like you were on your own. When you, when you tried to change things, people were very worried for you and worried about you. Um, and I, or the extreme, the kind of the, the, the self-help junkies that were just, who were a bit crazy. <laughs> so it didn't seem like, you know, until you met your therapist, mm. there was anyone really to hold your hand and be supportive whilst also keeping you real. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even have known that I needed that. That, that was the thing that by the time I did go to see the therapist, and she said, no wonder you're coming unstuck. You know, you've been experimenting on yourself. So I didn't understand what I was doing. And my poor friends and family, how on earth were they supposed to understand what was, you know, I don't think any of us probably, because I didn't have any psychological background or training or, you know, I didn't really know what, what this was doing to me. So my friends and family in reality were actually amazing. I mean, what gets edited down into a book is obviously like a little snapshot of the poor hours my mom spent listening to me on the phone. But, you know they're in the very real life of raising children, going to day jobs. And here I was walking around the park wondering if there was a God and, you know, like it, the worlds were so far apart from each other. And I, yeah, they, I mean, I think they were amazing all things considered. Um, Cause when you go off on these weird journeys, it, it's, it's very confusing for everyone else. Yeah. Would you say in, in hindsight, cause I certainly, one of the things that, that I learned from my trip was what I call, if you're alone, you'll go home. You know, if, the, if there isn't anyone to, to kind of either hold your feet to the fire or just tell you that you're, you're doing great and kind of carry on, then, then you'll just give up. Do you, it, if you were going to do something like it again, what would you diff do differently in terms of the support network around you? Well, in fact, yeah, the, 
my friends always wanted me to do whatever I wanted to do and they were so proud of the blog and so excited reading it and all of that um but I think if I do and when I do more things like this now I will like I still see my therapist and I mean a lot of that is a real big tendency on my part to do things on my own it's not that other people aren't there and willing it's that I am quite proud and I think I can go and figure stuff out on my own and and I've now realized that's just actually not true it's not possible and that's why I liked Brené Brown so book um, so much. She comes in towards the end of the book. There's, she had a quote in an interview she gave with the Telegraph saying that she doesn't like the term self-help because she doesn't think we're meant to do it on our own. We're meant to help each other. So I think that this is actually the kind of a big learning for me now going forward is how trying to learn how to communicate with other people better and lean on them more. It's not something that comes naturally to me. Yeah. And what's interesting about that is that although it did came, come up in the Brené Brown towards the end, um, it isn't necessarily something you intentionally, in some cases you'd intentionally identified, I've got a problem with money, I've got a problem with men, you know, I, so I need to address those. But actually one of the most powerful lessons that came out of it was not something that you realised was an issue for you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Just, yeah, really leaning on people and being open to, to people. I've just been, I'm fiercely independent. I've always, I've always thought it was a weakness to need other people. I don't know how I got that message, but I did, you know, you just do it yourself. And I traveled on my own and I freelance writer and I work at home on my own. I didn't understand why anyone had issues with that. Cause you know, some people really hate it. So I was, you know, I'd go to the cinema on my own and I've always been very lucky in that people like my company, I've never had a shortage of offers it was always my choice. I prefer to do things on my own. And that really started to cut that. That was my undoing in a lot of ways. Um, and that was a really valuable lesson. And one I'm still learning now that actually we do need each other. That's not a weakness. That's part of being a human being. Um, yeah. And then, and I suppose also the flip side of the self-help books is quite often that reading on your own is a very isolated um, act and, one of my friends, when he was reading through this, um, the screenwriter, when he was reading through the first draft, he was like, this book feels really lonely to me. But I was actually surrounded by people all the time, but I'm in my head so much. What I don't do very well is articulate things to people. I'm in my head, in my own little island. Um, so yeah, that's something I didn't really realize about myself and that's something to keep, keep working on. Yeah. The big breakthrough for you seemed to come with the power of now. Mm. tell us a bit about that oh, I love the power of now so the power of now I had tried to read several times before and it's written in the most gobbledygook opaque language ever and so I tried like a, a good few times before because everyone it was one of those books isn't it? it's one of those classics that everyone says power now power now and I hated it but at this point I was on I was on that I think it was the 10th book I did and I had really come quite close to cracking up with this mission to try and perfect myself and do more and try harder and push harder. And then I read The Power of Now and the sentences are still so weird, but for some reason at this point in the journey, it just made sense to me. So I mean, it, would, it could take me an hour to read a page of it. I have to keep reading and rereading the sentences. And sometimes I would understand them. And then two seconds later, I'd be like, what does that mean? I don't understand it. But the basic, the basic message is um it, it's just well, it's such a such a basic cliche now but this whole 
that when we walk down the street and we hear people talking to themselves, we think they're mad, but actually we're all talking to ourselves all the time. And he describes this vicious voice in our, inside our head that he, he calls a tormentor and that makes us physically and mentally really unwell. And this tormentor is there from the minute we wake up to the minute we go to sleep and it's, you know, criticizing everything. And that was certainly the case for me, a, a, a brutal, brutal voice inside my head all the time when nothing was good enough ever. But it was so normal to me. I didn't really even know that was there. And I didn't really, I'd never really thought about it. It was to me just the truth. So I'd wake up in the morning and go, you know, you idiot, you shouldn't have drunk last night. You should have been up earlier. And then I'd get out of bed and I'd look at my legs and I'd think they were fat and you're so ugly. And then I'd go downstairs and then don't eat toast because you, just this every single bit of the day was with these shitty records that I was putting on. And um, he's, he, Eckhart Tolle talks about this being the human ego, this um, addiction we have to our thoughts, he calls it. And it's, it drives us mad. You know, our thoughts have helped us achieve great things in the world materially and in, in terms of science and achievement so it has these thoughts have come for a reason but they drive us crazy too and um he says to break this pattern of thoughts to try and be in the now and to be in your body and to breathe so they're very simple exercises it's not like you have to sit in the lotus position but if your head is spiraling out stop and breathe and feel, he, he kind of does this body scan, so you feel your feet, you feel your legs, you feel your tummy, just feel the energy kind of humming around in your body. Or you go out into nature and you look at the trees and it's all such basic advice that would have really annoyed me at one point. But when I read it in this book and I did it, I, I had you know a month basically wandering around Hampstead Heath and feeling my feet and looking at birds. And yeah, it felt, it felt very calm and, and beautiful and his message is a very spiritual one you know he he does think we're all connected we're all part of the same life force nothing matters you know I don't think Eckhart Tolle could care less whether he was a gazillionaire or homeless again he was you know he used to live on a park bench after he had his epiphany um so I liked him very much and it's still the book I go back to the most so if, if my head is doing worries about whatever it's worrying I'll listen to Eckhart on audiobook before I fall asleep and yeah he's it's wonderful but hard read so i recommend people if they ever want to find out about eckhart tolle to look at the youtube videos he did with oprah he did a really good series of videos with oprah which you know she kinds of breaks it down into more practical usable um bits of advice mm. and I, I would also recommend uh, not listening to it on audiobook behind the wheel of a car ah uh, yeah good good point <laughs> 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 because i tried that and um I, you know, I, well, it's like a meditation. The way he speaks is very, oh, it kind of lulls you into this. And I think, I'm driving a car. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think, I think that's great. And I, one of the things that you seem to realize at that point was um, none of it, none of, it's not really about changing me. I mean, that seems, because as you know, I'm very interested in why we change and whether we really change and if we're going to change, what triggers it. And I, I, you'd been trying to change so many things about yourself very quickly, everything really in a year, fix, fix yourself in a year. Um, and it seems that you came out of that experience of power of now saying, actually, everything's fine. I'm, I'm fine as I am. Yeah. 
I felt so embarrassed. There was one moment during the power of now and I was sitting and I'd finished my work and I'd gone for a walk in the park and I came back and was having a late lunch and suddenly everything felt so perfect. And I was really embarrassed that I'd ever, you know, not seen it, that I'm alive in the world. And I could hear an aeroplane and I was thinking, oh, that plane is flying to America where my sister lives. I have a sister who lives in America. Everything felt like a miracle. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I'm so grateful for those little experiences of that kind of pure peace where all the other nonsense, the made up nonsense that I fret about the rest of the time just kind of vanishes. And yeah, in that moment, I very much felt like you have it all. We all have it all. It's beautiful. And, but then the other thing he says is we're quite addicted to our problems. And so I've built my whole identity around being addicted to my problems. I, I do quite a good line in poor me. Um, so yeah, we, when to let go of your problems and to really sink into the fact everything's just fine the way it is. It's like letting go of your whole identity. And yeah. 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 You said something at one point, you said, I don't know if you were quoting someone else or if it was you that said it, to really change means to love, to lose ourselves completely. Uh, yeah, that was me. And yeah. that's scary. It's really yeah. scary. Because exactly like you were saying before, you, 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 it, it's a feeling of having no footing. You're just falling. And there's another quote somewhere, which is, you know, the bad news is you're falling. The good news is you're not going to land or there's nowhere, you know, there's nowhere to land. As in, we just fall. Like life is just, you know, you're not going to crash land. But yeah, it's, it's, they're very strange experiences, those things, when you kind of have little flash seconds of thinking everything you thought mattered actually really doesn't at all. Do you think, because you said you, you'd read that or tried to read that book before, do mm. you that you could have got that epiphany no you hadn't been through all the other experiences no no i really wouldn't i really really wouldn't without a doubt because it it, it only meant so much to me because in the run-up to reading that book the voice in my head that was criticizing myself it it, it had become so um incessant but I actually felt like I was going mad you know at one point I was like this is actually what it's like to go mad and and that was because throughout the year the more I was trying to be perfect the less perfect I felt I felt like more of a failure because you know quite a lot of these self-help books will set set the bar quite high of what life could be like mm -hmm. and so I always felt like a failure but now I felt like an even bigger failure because I wasn't you know just walking around in this state of bliss and productivity and empowerment and you know all and so the guy was just my head was just thinking I was a huge um a huge mess up and then also the other thing is I was thinking about myself too much it's not healthy for anyone to think about themselves as much as I was doing so I'd really pushed pushed myself to quite quite a dangerous place in a way and so yes when I picked up the power of now it actually made sense to me how human beings, how we can drive ourselves quite crazy. And that was how he had his epiphany too. He was um, suicidal in a bed sit in Bell Size Park. And he had the thought, I can't live with myself anymore. And then something changed in that moment and he suddenly just let go of these old worries and identity he had. And I certainly wasn't suicidal or anything close, but I was really, I couldn't live the way I was living anymore. It was becoming quite clear that that was not working and this, feverish attempt at perfection wasn't working either that was you know I almost I used to think at one point if you could just be skinny and pretty then life would be all right and then I thought oh if I could just be successful at work life would be all right and then I kind of achieved these various things and you go oh I still don't feel good enough so then I put myself into a year of self-help 
you know, if I could just tackle every single flaw I have, then I'll be all right. Um, and it just doesn't work like that at all. So yes, The Power of Now, I think maybe it is just one of those books that you have to pick up at the right time and it will do it for you. And other times you'll think it's a load of old rubbish. <laughs> Even though you had this breakthrough, that mm. was your final book, was it? No, I had to do a dating book after that. So I did The Power of Now and I was all zen and enlightened and delighted with myself. And then my friends were like, no, sod this, you said you'd do a dating book. Um, so I did a dating book called Get the Guy, which is actually a, a strangely um, practical and warm, wise book. I, um, Matthew Hussey says that to meet more men, you need to meet more men. So literally you just chat to everybody all the time so that you're in practice of interacting with people and the world. And he says that women, if they've been single for a long time, you become so obsessed with meeting the one you put such weight onto every interaction with anyone, anyone, you know, it, it, it's doomed to fail. So this book is about just being in the world and interacting with people all the time, which was actually a lovely, it was a lovely month in the end. I didn't want to do it, but it felt nice to be out in the world and just having nonsense conversations after all the deep and meaningful stuff. Um, yeah. One of the things that I really enjoyed um, about, about reading about your experiences was some of this in the dialogue that you shared um, and the familiarity of it. Mm. And I, did you realize that, I wonder if, you, if you've got this realization since the book has come out and more people have had access to what was going on in your head through that year, but did you realize that so many people, I mean, everybody thinks the things that you were thinking were unique to you? Um. No, I didn't. And it was the Hoffman process helped me realize that as well. So I go to this week long therapy retreat where it's 25 people and it's basically down there and say all this stuff that you don't normally even admit to yourself. And it was horrific. It was awful. But it was also profound and beautiful because that was when I really realized everybody has a version of this going on in them. It didn't matter what they looked like, how successful they were, or whether they were married or didn't, the age, everybody had some sort of inner critic. I don't like that term, but that voice that just is no, yeah. Um, and then since the book has come out, it's, yeah, it's, it's bananas because I'm getting emails from people all around the world going, I have never read a book in which I recognize myself so much. And and you know messages saying my friend gave me this because they said it's me it's me and and I think god that's so weird isn't it and I was in in France a couple of weeks ago because the French edition came out being interviewed by this you know gorgeous lovely Parisian Elle magazine writer and just yes yeah, you related to it so much and that just baffled me so yes we're all we're all the same underneath it all and we might have, you know, slightly different tweaks. So like my sister really finds it hard that in the book, I keep talking about being fat. And I didn't really realize how much I do that because that to me is obviously just normal in my head it's, and much less so now, but she doesn't do that to herself, she says, and it really upsets her that I do that. So I think we maybe have slightly different, slightly different versions of what, what we criticize ourselves over. Um, yeah what a waste of energy honestly all this yeah. just yeah byron katie says i don't know if you if you know no, I'm, not very, I'm not very familiar with i mean i know her but who she is but i've never done anything oh. is she good she's, she's wonderful and she, yeah. she and uh, eckhart tolia are, are sort of 
they're on the same they're yeah. on the same wavelength really and had quite a similar experience actually this sort of epiphany moment but she says um you know that um believing our thoughts is the cause of all suffering right. and we've all suffered enough so she says you know e even if you think that you deserve to to beat yourself up you've done enough of it now now you can stop and you can live the rest of your life without having the having to believe the thoughts the thoughts will still come but you don't have to believe that they're true and then there's a process that, that she goes through but that that for me that came along at exactly the moment where i was in pieces and that's what i needed um and it's a very similar it's she she says um um you know i could be a millionaire sitting on this chair or i could be homeless sitting on this chair but i'd still just be a woman sitting on a chair yeah. Yeah. that's beautiful <laughs> yeah so i asked at the beginning well yeah i asked at the beginning whether whether it worked i but i think that the question's a little bit more <laughs> more interesting than that which is whether it's possible to actually change do do you feel having done all of this committing to this in a way that most people don't do do you feel that that you are fundamentally changed in any way it's, i change my mind about this almost every day sometimes i feel utterly different other times i don't i get trapped right back into my old familiar loops of thoughts and worries and i would say that i know myself very well now which was something that i didn't at the beginning i didn't know myself and i didn't know anything about what made humans tick beyond trying to be nice and work hard that was all i knew about life <laughs> and i know myself more now i I think I've experienced much greater joy, not all the time though, but I have access to it. You know, I can now, I'm much more at ease with people. and I can kind of find myself like really properly happy in moments, whereas I wasn't really ever like that before. I was trying to be happy and I was smiling at the right places and, but I actually was very rarely purely joyful. Whereas now that happens to me quite frequently, whether it's just little things, even like playing with my friends, kids, or on a beautiful day. And I feel quite moved by how beautiful it is. And that's, that's lovely. So yeah, I know myself, I have moments of real joy. And, and I think, yeah, I do. I, I feel more at ease with people. I used to be one of those people that would always walk into any room, be intimidated by everybody. I would think they were cleverer than me. Like, I would always feel a bit embarrassed about myself, almost any room I walked into. And I now don't do that. I don't walk into rooms feeling inferior um which is a lovely that's a lovely relief i'm much more at ease um being with other people so probably more confident on good days and i'm really proud that i wrote a book and then it came out so good because that was a lot of hard work and it's a big achievement so i'm really that's that changes a person in a way i'm now somebody who wrote a book i think that's amazing <laughs> um, yeah brilliant yeah because you know, we all want to be people who change for positive reasons, you know, yeah. sort of towards motivation, aspiration, you know, you paint a picture of the life that you want and you move effortlessly yeah. towards it. But it always seems to me like we only really change when out of desperation, when our back is against the wall, when the, the pain of staying still is more painful than the pain of changing. Was, exactly. And it seemed like that was your experience too. Exactly. Yeah, I think so. 
So Tony Robbins, who is one of my guys too, says that we only change for one of two reasons. Either we're in so much pain, we have to, or the reward that's being offered for change is so massive that we can't ignore it. But I think mostly it's from pain that we change because it's not like most, you know, no one was dangling a huge reward at the end of this for me. It was, and it was, yeah. So I, I think, I think in reality, it does seem to come from a bad place. Um, when your old ways of being just, you just push them as far as you can push them and it, you, yeah, something has to, something has to give. Mm. Um, and I'm grateful for that now, but I don't like, I don't like those bad places. I wish, I wish change didn't have to come that way. No. And, and I, I, I it's a shame, isn't it? That that does seem to be the truth oh. because it's awful to say to people, well, the reason that you haven't changed that is because it hasn't got painful enough yet. Yeah. And exactly. you have to just carry on until it becomes so painful that, you, that you're willing to change it. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I, I have, yeah, I have friends that are stuck in situations that they're frustrated by, but it's not unbearable. So you just keep going and... Yeah, whereas at the start of the year, my, my, my life had really become unbearable for me, for whatever reason. Um, yeah. yeah. And then you kind of made it worse. <laughs> I know, I made it worse. <laughs> but I wonder, we, we were talking, we were talking about, when we started recording about the hero's journey, and I wonder if um, that, that's sort of inevitable. If you know how, how the change, so you make the change, you kind of embark on this journey. If you had any idea how painful it was about to become you wouldn't you wouldn't I, on it. I doubt it yeah. yeah I doubt it I really because that was the thing I wanted to change but I had no idea what actually changing meant mm -hmm. and it means a lot of chaos and soul searching and that dark night of the soul all of that mm -hmm. um, but I wouldn't go back in a million years to where I was like I, I feel we, this is also something we were just talking about slightly before the conversation in this process, I feel like I have, I am the person that I'm actually meant to be, that I am, you know, the real me. It's, I feel like that's what has emerged through all this, thank God. And I'm sure there'll be many more layers to come, you know, like it's, I'm definitely not sorted. There will be more different versions of me, but right now, it, yeah, I feel like this was what had to be done and I'm really happy with the person that's come out the other side. I find it really reassuring as well, because when, and this goes for anyone who's listening, who's in a sort of tough place at the moment, maybe brought about because they initiated some kind of change and now it feels like yeah. they really messed it up. Actually, yes. to know that that is an inevitable part of the journey and that if you're experiencing that, you are actually doing something right. Exactly. Exactly, exactly. I wish I'd known that because I thought I was messing it up because here I was trying to improve my life and I'd made everything worse. But I kept going and kept going and then you come through the other side, whatever, it's darkest before the dawn, whatever that line is. But yeah, I know, I, I hope for people who are in that really messy patch that you can just keep breathing and keep going and then you can just turn a corner. But it always does get worse before it gets better, I think. Or it did in my case anyway. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. sure it does. Mm. So, so what if you were going to pass on some some wisdom or some advice or some reassurance to people who are just on the cusp of you know they they know they want to change something maybe it's their work the way they work something about their their lifestyle um 
if you were to pass something on to them that maybe would give them the the confidence to go for it and maybe a little bit of reassurance that it's going to be okay it, what would that be what have you taken from the journey that you use to keep yourself sane oh god um i think what coming back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier which is if there is something that you are unhappy with and you want to address don't ignore that niggle because i was ignoring that niggle for years and years but also maybe if you can get someone who can help you through it whether that's a therapist or a friend or a coach or whether there's some sort of group something that can help you through it then that would be that would be what i would advise for anyone so i got really lucky with the therapist i went to see she's fantastic and she can she was just such a huge help and also the Hoffman therapy week that I did was truly life-changing for me. Now people have mixed experiences of that, but to me, it was one of the most important things I've ever done in my life. So get help if you can find some help somewhere. Um, and also just take it easy on yourself. I was in this huge rush to just fix everything about myself. And I now like, don't, I now look back and realize I wasn't broken. I, like things needed to change, but I was fine the way I was. I wasn't a bad human being, but I thought I was. So yes, change. And yes, totally listen to these whispers and these niggles. Try and get help and try and go easy on yourself when you're doing it and making those changes. You know, it just doesn't happen overnight. It, um, yeah, slow and steady. I just kind of find myself always wanting to tell people you're all right the way you are. But I know that would, I would have been really frustrated if someone had said that to me before. I'd have really wanted to tell them to fuck off. But, um, you know, you are all right and it will be all right. Um, yeah. There's a quote, I don't know it exactly, but it's something to do with, you know, the, the beauty of travel is to return to the place you started and see it afresh you know, as, as if for the first yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, that you were always all right. Exactly. You needed to go on this journey in order to discover that you were all right. Yeah, which is very annoying, but apparently you do. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's really annoying. And um, wouldn't it just be nice to just be able to yeah, no. Oh, well, this is me. <laughs> and, and the funny thing is you didn't meet people like that. You talk about your mum. You know, she seems like someone who... Is never not been troubled by that. No, she hasn't. This yeah. is, so this is, this is this is one of this is one of the questions I've always had. Like, why did I overthink everything, or not over? Because that sounds like criticism. Why did I question everything and feel so unhappy with everything? And then other people do just seem to kind of swan through life in a much more contented way. And yeah, Mum is one of those people. Like, she's like, I never thought about things the way you do, Marianne. She just didn't. And she's a really smart woman, and it's not that she's blotting things she just mum just kind of gets on with it and and I don't <laughs> I have to question everything and do it the hard way um but I think by the end of the book so mum mum is everyone's favorite character in the book she's this Irish one-liner no-nonsense woman and but by the end of the book we've kind of come to an understanding because to me she represented that old school approach of stiff upper lip and get on with it, which was, you know, I thought was limiting and denial and all that. And then she, I think I imagined, looked at me and was just like, 
navel gazing what are you doing get on you know but somewhere in the middle ground is is good so by the end of the book she's kind of admits that she'd learned quite a lot from me and then I can also see that there's a lot to be said for putting your lipstick on and getting and facing the day practically as well as doing the whole what's it all about you know it's that balance isn't it so a little bit of what you were saying earlier about with the practical advice and the woo-woo advice if you can keep both of those halves going then I think it's more helpful than sort of diving into one or just the other so what's what's next you you're you're done with that amazing adventure in one way but have you are you embarking on something new well love and money are still two areas that need lots and lots and lots of work um yeah the money stuff is interesting so the money chapter in my book people they basically have one of two responses they're either horrified that i can be that bad with money and that anyone can be that bad with money or they read it and they go me too and so money is a topic that i still have a lot of work to do around and so the um you know the books coming out in countries all around the world and there's money coming in and it, it's it stresses me even when it's coming in everything to do with money really really scares me and i'd like to tackle that because it seems like it's such a fundamental part of life and it, it seems like it would be a real shame to go through life not having you know found a way to enjoy it and manage it mm-hmm. and then love um not necessarily in terms of like finding a partner love, but how we are with each other. You know, it is the Brené Brown stuff of connection is why we're here, which is the opposite to how I've ever approached my life. And I'm not very good at communicating face to face with people. And I'm, yeah, there's a lot, a lot I need to learn there about how to just be with other people. And, and also like in a worldwide way, how can we all be with each other? It seems like at the moment, like we're, it's really crazy times, isn't it, with Me Too and the politics and it feels like it's it's amazing in, in some ways what's happening and people speaking out, but it just feels like I don't think we know how to be with each other. Um, anyway, so they're two broad things, but that's kind of in my head what I want to get into next. We'll see how they pan out. Yeah, and I'm sure that they'll connect with, both of those things will connect with so many people. Mm. So I can't wait to see <laughs> yeah. what you learn about, about both of those. Marianne, thank you so much. It's been wonderful talking Thanks to you. Thanks very much for having me. I really enjoyed it. I hope you really enjoyed that interview. I just think she's so amazing. And the way she's been able to put all of her experiences together is so accessible. Um, and her advice at the end was great. <laughs> so for all of that, she still says to go for it, um, as I would agree with her, of course. I highly recommend the book, Help Me. It's available at Amazon and all good booksellers. The link is in the notes and you can follow her on Facebook. Just search the Help Me blog and her website is helpmeblog.net. You can, of course, also stay in touch with us. You can find out more about A Brilliant Gamble online by going to abrilliantgamble.com and clicking on the coaching and classes link. And you can also sign up to our newsletter there. And we're on all the social media. So with information about how to do all of that, here is the lovely, now a year older, 11-year-old Ivy Palmer. We love to 
hear from you, visit our website at www.thebrilliantgamble.com. There you can get all the episodes of the show, plus read the blog. And on our coaching and classes page, you can find out more about the Brilliant Gamble personal development programs to help you navigate your way through the minefield of life, career and change. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Brilliant Gamble and on our Brilliant Gamble Facebook page. Finally, please leave a review and star rating for this podcast on iTunes as it helps people find us and take a brilliant gamble of their own.